chapter eight of the jeffersonians eighteen o one to eighteen twenty nine by richard b morris this librivox recording is in the public domain three james monroe's administration eighteen seventeen to eighteen twenty five early days in the mississippi valley a husking bee in ohio william cooper howells religion in tennessee lorenzo dow davy crockett runs for office early days in illinois morris birkbeck early days in the mississippi valley james monroe was the last of the quartet of virginia presidents which had begun with george washington he was elected after serving as madison's secretary of state but before that he had fought in the revolution sat in the continental congress been a senator a governor and a minister to france his term as president is known as the era of good feeling because of the absence of serious problems to divide the country it was a period of rapid growth as settlers pushed west and the beginnings of the industrial revolution began to change the east during the early decades of the nineteenth century the wilderness across the allegheny mountains began to fill up with farmers throughout jefferson's administration there were occasional skirmishes with the indians but gradually the indians were pushed out of their traditional hunting grounds while madison was president the shawnee chief tecumseh who had attempted to organize indian resistance was crushed by william henry harrison in the battle of tippecanoe meantime ohio had become a state in eighteen o three and in eighteen sixteen the year that james monroe was elected president indiana was admitted to the union two years later illinois joined the growing union in the selections reprinted in this part of the jeffersonians we have chosen four pieces that show various aspects of life in the mississippi valley here you will find examples of farm life religion and politics in the new states west of the mountains a husking bee in ohio william cooper howells the author of the next selection was the father of a famous magazine editor and novelist william dean howells the elder howells was taken to ohio from england as a child and grew up on a farm while ohio was a new state his memories come from recollections of life in ohio from eighteen thirteen to eighteen forty one of the gatherings for joint work which has totally disappeared from the agriculture of modern times and one that was always a jolly kind of affair was the corn husking it was a sort of harvest home in its department and it was the more jolly because it was a gathering with very little respect to persons and embraced in the invitation men and big boys with the understanding that no one would be unwelcome there was always a good supper served at the husking and as certainly a good appetite to eat it with it came at a plentiful season when the turkeys and chickens were fat and a fat pig was at hand to be flanked on the table with good bread in various forms turnips and potatoes from the autumn stores apple and pumpkin pies good coffee and the like and the cooking was always well done and all in such bountiful abundance that no one feared to eat while many a poor fellow was certain of a square meal by being present at a husking you were sure to see the laboring men of the vicinity out and the wives of a goodly number of farm-hands would be on hand to help in the cooking and serving at the table 
the corn husking has been discontinued because the farmers found out that it was less trouble to husk it in the field direct from the stalk than to gather in the husk and go over it again but in that day they did not know that much and therefore took the original method of managing their corn crop which was this as soon as the grain began to harden they would cut the stalks off just above the ears and save these tops for fodder and if they had time they stripped all the blades off the stalks below the ears which made very nice though costly feed then as barn room was not usually over plenty they made a kind of frame of poles as for a tent and thatched it sides and top with the corn tops placed with the tassel downward so as to shed the rain and snow this was called the fodder house and was built in the barnyard inside they would store the blades in bundles the husks and the pumpkins that were saved for use in the winter the fodder house was commonly made ten feet high and as long as was necessary and it was used up through the winter by feeding the fodder to the cattle beginning at the back which would be temporarily closed by a few bundles of the tops it would thus serve as a protection for what might be stored in it till all was used up the fodder house was of all things a favorite place for the children to hide in and play when the season for gathering the corn came the farmers went through the fields and pulled off the ears and husks together throwing them upon the ground in heaps whence they were hauled into the barnyard and there piled up in a neat pile of convenient length according to the crop and say four or five feet high rising to a sharp peak from a base of about six feet care was taken to make this pile of equal width and height from end to end so that it would be easily and fairly divided in the middle by a rail laid upon it when the husking party had assembled they were all called out into line and two fellows mostly ambitious boys were chosen captains these then chose their men each calling out one of the crowd alternately till all were chosen then the heap was divided by two judicious chaps walking solemnly along the ridge of the heap of corn and deciding where the dividing rail was to be laid and as this had to be done by starlight or moonlight at best it took considerable deliberation as the comparative solidity of the ends of the heap and the evenness of it had to be taken into account this done the captains placed a good steady man at each side of the rail who made it a point to work through and cut the heap in two as soon as possible and then the two parties fell to husking all standing with the heap in front of them and throwing the husked corn onto a clear place over the heap and the husks behind them from the time they began till the corn was all husked at one end there would be steady work each man husking all the corn he could never stopping except to take a pull at the stone jug of inspiration that passed occasionally along the line weak lovers of the stuff were sometimes overcome though it was held to be a disgraceful thing to take too much the captains would go up and down their lines and rally their men as if in a battle and the whole thing was an exciting affair as soon as one party got done they raised a shout and hoisting their captain on their shoulders carried him over to the other side with general cheering then would come a little bantering talk an explanation why the defeated party lost and all would turn to and husk up the remnants of the heap all hands would then join to carry the husks into the fodder house the shout at hoisting the captain was the signal for bringing the supper on the table 
and the huskers and the supper met soon after these gatherings often embraced forty or fifty men if the farmhouse was small it would be crowded and the supper would be managed by repeated sittings at the table at a large house there was less crowding and more fun and if as often was the case some occasion had been given for an assemblage of the girls of the neighborhood and particularly if the man that played the fiddle should attend after the older men had gone there was very apt to be a good time there was a tradition that the boys who accidentally husked a red ear and saved it would be entitled to a kiss from somebody but i never knew it to be necessary to produce a red ear to secure a kiss where there was a disposition to give or take one religion in tennessee religion played an important part in the lives of frontier settlers instead of the stern puritanism of colonial new england the religion of the west in the early years of the last century was highly evangelistic by this time the methodist movement had made a large number of converts and was particularly strong on the frontier one tireless methodist preacher was lorenzo dow often known as crazy dow who traveled throughout the united states during a long ministry though he lived until eighteen thirty four the selection that follows comes from his journal of eighteen o four when he visited tennessee at the age of twenty seven he was then travelling about ten thousand miles a year by horse and on foot over trails and primitive roads this selection is particularly interesting for its account of a backwoods religious fervor almost of physical affliction described by dow as the jerks next day i rode forty-five miles in company with dr nelson across the dismal allegheny mountains by the warm springs and on the way a young man a traveller came in where i breakfasted gratis at an inn and said that he had but three sixteenths of a dollar left having been robbed of seventy-one dollars on the way and he being far from home i gave him half of what i had with me my horse having a naval gall come on his back i sold him with the saddle bridle cloak and blanket etc on credit for about three-fourths of the value with uncertainty whether i should ever be paid thus i crossed the river french broad in a canoe and set out for my appointment but fearing i should be behind the time i hired a man whom i met on the road with two horses to carry me five miles in haste for three shillings which left me but one-sixteenth of a dollar in our speed he observed there was a nigh-way by which i could clamber the rocks and cut off some miles so we parted he having not gone two-thirds of the way yet insisted on the full sum i took to my feet the nigh-way as fast as i could pull on as intricate as it was and came to a horrid ledge of rocks on the bank of the river where there was no such thing as going round and to clamber over would be at the risk of my life as there was danger of slipping into the river however being unwilling to disappoint the people i pulled off my shoes and with my handkerchief fastened them about my neck and creeping upon my hands and feet with my fingers and toes in the cracks of the rocks with difficulty i got safe over in about four miles i came to a house and hired a woman to take me over the river in a canoe for my remaining money and a pair of scissors the latter of which was the chief object with her so are extremities or others opportunities thus with difficulty i got to my appointment in newport in time 
i had heard about a singularity called the jerks or jerking exercise which appeared first near knoxville in august last to the great alarm of the people which reports at first i considered as vague and false but at length like the queen of sheba i set out to go and see for myself and sent over these appointments into this country accordingly when i arrived in sight of this town i saw hundreds of people collected in little bodies and observing no place appointed for meeting before i spoke to any i got on a log and gave out an hymn which caused them to assemble round in solemn attentive silence i observed several involuntary motions in the course of the meeting which i considered as a specimen of the jerks i rode seven miles behind a man across streams of water and held meeting in the evening being ten miles on my way in the night i grew uneasy being twenty-five miles from my appointment for next morning at eleven o'clock i prevailed on a young man to attempt carrying me with horses until day which he thought was impracticable considering the darkness of the night and the thickness of the trees solitary shrieks were heard in these woods which he told me were said to be the cries of murdered persons at day we parted being still seventeen miles from the spot and the ground covered with a white frost i had not proceeded far before i came to a stream of water from the springs of the mountain which made it dreadful cold in my heated state i had to wade this stream five times in the course of about an hour which i perceived so affected my body that my strength began to fail fears began to arise that i must disappoint the people till i observed some fresh tracks of horses which caused me to exert every nerve to overtake them in hopes of aid or assistance on my journey and soon i saw them on an eminence i shouted for them to stop till i came up they inquired what i wanted i replied i had heard there was meeting at seversville by a stranger and was going to it they replied that they had heard that a crazy man was to hold forth there and were going also and perceiving that i was weary they invited me to ride and soon our company was increased to forty or fifty who fell in with us on the road from different plantations at length i was interrogated whether i knew anything about the preacher i replied i have heard a good deal about him and have heard him preach but i have no great opinion of him and thus the conversation continued for some miles before they found me out which caused some colour and smiles in the company thus i got on to meeting and after taking a cup of tea gratis i began to speak to a vast audience and i observed about thirty to have the jerks though they strove to keep still as they could these emotions were involuntary and irresistible as any unprejudiced eye might discern lawyer porter who had come a considerable distance got his heart touched under the word and being informed how i came to meeting voluntarily lent me a horse to ride near one hundred miles and gave me a dollar though he had never seen me before hence to marysville where i spoke to about one thousand five hundred and many appeared to feel the word but about fifty felt the jerks at night i lodged with one of the nicolites a kind of quakers who do not feel free to wear coloured clothes i spoke to a number of people at his house that night whilst at tea i observed his daughter who sat opposite to me at the table to have the jerks and dropped the teacup from her hand in the violent agitation i said to her young woman what is the matter 
she replied i have got the jerks i asked her how long she had it she observed a few days and that it had been the means of the awakening and conversion of her soul by stirring her up to serious consideration about her careless state etc sunday february nineteenth i spoke in knoxville to hundreds more than could get into the courthouse the governor being present about one hundred and fifty appeared to have jerking exercise among whom was a circuit preacher johnson who had opposed them a little before but he now had them powerfully and i believe he would have fallen over three times had not the auditory been so crowded that he could not unless he fell perpendicularly after meeting i rode eighteen miles to hold meeting at night the people of this settlement were mostly quakers and they had said as i was informed the methodists and presbyterians have the jerks because they sing and pray so much but we are a still peaceable people wherefore we do not have them however about twenty of them came to meeting to hear one as was said somewhat in a quaker line but their usual stillness and silence was interrupted for about a dozen of them had the jerks as keen and as powerful as any i had seen so as to have occasioned a kind of grunt or groan when they would jerk it appears that many have undervalued the great revival and attempted to account for it altogether on natural principles therefore it seems to me from the best judgment i can form that god hath seen proper to take this method to convince people that he will work in a way to show his power and sent the jerks as a sign of the times partly in judgment for the people's unbelief and yet as a mercy to convict people of divine realities davy crockett runs for office davy crockett who describes himself as an ignorant backwoods bear hunter was just another poor frontier boy until he got into politics then he served in the state legislature and later in congress he became the fair-haired boy of whig politicians when he broke with andrew jackson his fellow tennessee democrat subsequently his backwoods humor tall tales and picturesque personality were exploited by whig journalists and crockett became a sort of folklore hero but tennessee democrats would not tolerate his desertion of their party and turned him out of office after that he went to texas and died as everyone remembers during the heroic defense of the alamo the following selection is taken from a narrative of the life of davy crockett which passes for his autobiography but which undoubtedly was ghost-written for him this account describes with typical frontier exaggeration crockett's first campaign for office in a little time i was asked to offer for the legislature in the counties of lawrence and heckman i offered my name in the month of february and started about the first of march with a drove of horses to the lower part of the state of north carolina this was in the year eighteen twenty one and i was gone upwards of three months i returned and set out electioneering which was a brand fire new business to me it now became necessary that i should tell the people something about the government and an eternal sight of other things that i knowed nothing more about than i did latin and law and such things as that i have said before that in those days none of us called general jackson the government jackson was not yet president and crockett was still a democrat 
nor did he seem in as fair a way to become so as i do now but i know so little about it that if any one had told me he was the government i should have believed it for i had never read even a newspaper in my life or anything else on the subject but over all my difficulties it seems to me i was born for luck though it would be hard for any one to guess what sort i will however explain that hereafter i went first into heckman county to see what i could do among the people as a candidate here they told me that they wanted to move their town nearer to the centre of the county and i must come out in favour of it there's no devil if i knowed what this meant or how the town was to be moved so i kept dark going on the identical same plan that i now find is called non-committal about this time there was a great squirrel hunt on duck river which was among my people they were to hunt two days then to meet and count the scalps and have a big barbecue and what might be called a tip-top country frolic the dinner and a general treat was all to be paid for by the party having taken the fewest scalps i joined one side taking the place of one of the hunters and got a gun ready for the hunt i killed a great many squirrels and when we counted scalps my party was victorious the company had everything to eat and drink that could be furnished in so new a country and much fun and good humour prevailed but before the regular frolic commenced i mean the dancing i was called on to make a speech as a candidate which was a business i was as ignorant of as an outlandish negro a public document i had never seen nor did i know there were such things and how to begin i couldn't tell i made many apologies and tried to get off for i knowed i had a man to run against who could speak prime and i knowed too that i wasn't able to shuffle and cut with him he was there and knowing my ignorance as well as i did myself he also urged me to make a speech the truth is he thought my being a candidate was a mere matter of sport and didn't think for a moment that he was in any danger from an ignorant backwoods bear hunter but i found i couldn't get off and so i determined just to go ahead and leave it to chance what i should say i got up and told the people i reckon they knowed what i'd come for but if not i could tell them i'd come for their votes and if they didn't watch mighty close i'd get them too but the worst of all was that i could not tell them anything about government i tried to speak about something and i cared very little what until i choked up as bad as if my mouth had been jammed and crammed chock full of dry mush there the people stood listening all the while with their eyes mouths and ears all open to catch every word at last i told them i was like a fellow i had heard of not long before he was beating on the head of an empty barrel near the roadside when a traveller who was passing along asked him what was he doing that for the fellow replied that there was some cider in that barrel a few days before and he was trying to see if there was any then but if there was he couldn't get at it i told them there had been a little bit of speech in me a while ago but i believed i couldn't get it out they all roared out in a mighty laugh and i told some other anecdotes equally amusing to them and believing i had them in a first-rate way i quit and got down thanking the people for their attention but i took care to remark that i was as dry as a powder-horn and that i thought it was time for us all to wet our whistles a little and so i put off to the liquor-stand and was followed by the greater part of the crowd i felt certain this was necessary 
for i knowed my competitor could open government matters to them as easy as he pleased he had however mighty few left to hear him as i continued with the crowd now and then taking a horn and telling good-humoured stories till he was done speaking i found i was good for the votes at the hunt and when we broke up i went on to the town of vernon which was the same town they wanted me to move here they pressed me again on the subject and i found i could get either party by agreeing with them but i told them i didn't know whether it would be right or not and so couldn't promise either way their court commenced on the next monday as the barbecue was on a saturday and the candidates for governor and for congress as well as my competitor and myself all attended the thought of having to make a speech made my knees feel mighty weak and set my heart to fluttering almost as bad as my first love scrape with the quaker's niece but as good luck would have it these big candidates spoke nearly all day and when they quit the people were worn out with fatigue which afforded me a good apology for not discussing the government but i listened mighty close to them and was learning pretty fast about political matters when they were all done i got up and told some laughable story and quit i found i was safe in those parts and so i went home and did not go back again till after the election was over but to cut this matter short i was elected doubling my competitor and nine votes over early days in illinois morris birkbeck was an englishman who came to the united states and settled in southeastern illinois where he founded the town of albion his account of the people and life in illinois in eighteen seventeen just before it became a state is good reporting he had a sharp eye for detail and because he was fresh from europe he sees and records the contrasts between the midwestern backwoods and the old world the following selection comes from his book notes on a journey in america from the coast of virginia to the territory of illinois august one dagley's twenty miles north of shawnee town after viewing several beautiful prairies so beautiful with their surrounding woods as to seem like the creation of fancy gardens of delight in a dreary wilderness and after losing our horses and spending two days in recovering them we took a hunter as our guide and proceeded across the little wabash to explore the country between that river and the skillet fork since we left the fox settlement about fifteen miles north of the big prairie cultivation has been very scanty many miles intervening between the little clearings this may therefore be truly called a new country these lonely settlers are poorly off their bread corn must be ground thirty miles off requiring three days to carry to the mill and bring back the small horse-load of three bushels articles of family manufacture are very scanty and what they purchase is of the meanest quality and excessively dear yet they are friendly and willing to share their simple fare with you it is surprising how comfortable they seem wanting everything to struggle with privations has now become the habit of their lives most of them having made several successive plunges into the wilderness and they begin already to talk of selling their improvements and getting still farther back on finding that immigrants of another description are thickening about them our journey across the little wabash was a complete departure from all mark of civilization 
we saw no bears as they are now buried in the thickets and seldom appear by day but at every few yards we saw recent marks of their doings wallowing in the long grass or turning over decayed logs in quest of beetles or worms in which work the strength of this animal is equal to that of four men wandering without track where even the sagacity of our hunter guide had nearly failed us we at length arrived at the cabin of another hunter where we lodged this man and his family are remarkable instances of the effect on the complexion produced by the perpetual incarceration imprisonment of a thorough woodland life incarceration may seem to be a term less applicable to the condition of a roving backwoodsman than to any other and especially unsuitable to the habits of this individual and his family for the cabin in which he entertained us is the third dwelling he has built within the last twelve months and a very slender motive would place him in a fourth before the ensuing winter in his general habits the hunter ranges as freely as the beasts he pursues laboring under no restraint his activity is only bounded by his own physical powers still he is incarcerated shut from the common air buried in the depth of a boundless forest the breeze of health never reaches these poor wanderers the bright prospect of distant hills fading away into the semblance of clouds never cheered their sight they are tall and pale like vegetables that grow in a vault pining for light our stock of provisions being nearly exhausted we were anxious to provide ourselves with a supper by means of our guns but we could meet with neither deer nor turkey however in our utmost need we shot three raccoons an old one to be roasted for our dogs and the two young ones to be stewed up daintily for ourselves we soon lighted a fire and cooked the old raccoon for the dogs but famished as they were they would not touch it and their squeamishness so far abated our relish for the promised stew that we did not press our complaining landlady to prepare it and thus our supper consisted of the residue of our cornbread and no raccoon however we laid our bearskins on the filthy earth floor there was none which they assured us was too damp for fleas and wrapped in our blankets slept soundly enough though the collops slices of venison hanging in comely rows in the smoky fireplace and even the shoulders put by for the dogs and which were suspended over our heads would have been an acceptable prelude to our night's rest had we been invited to partake of them but our hunter and our host were too deeply engaged in conversation to think of supper in the morning the latter kindly invited us to cook some of the collops which we did by roasting them on a stick and he also divided some shoulders among the dogs so we all fared sumptuously the cabin which may serve as a specimen of these rudiments of houses was formed of round logs with apertures of three or four inches between no chimney but large intervals between the clapboards for the escape of the smoke the roof was however a more effectual covering than we have generally experienced as it protected us very tolerably from a drenching night two bedsteads of unhewn logs and cleft boards laid across two chairs one of them without a bottom and a low stool were all the furniture required by this numerous family 
a string of buffalo hides stretched across the hovel was a wardrobe for their rags and their utensils consisting of a large iron pot some baskets the effective rifle and two that were superannuated too old to use stood about in corners and the fiddle which was only silent when we were asleep hung by them End of chapter 8